Welcome to Unconventional Thinkers. My name is Kawan Saluja. On this episode, we talk to Susan Campbell, relationship expert and author of Getting Real and From Triggered to Tranquil. Among the subjects we cover include 10 true skills you need to live an authentic life, the power of noticing, and how to communicate better, and so much more. I hope you enjoy our conversation with Susan Campbell. Well, thank you for joining us, uh, Dr. Campbell. Uh, you have written so many books on uh, so many important uh, and uh, challenging topics. I think I was challenged uh, by reading it. And uh, one thing I came across is I think, <laughs> I think we live in an emotional, Ill- illiterate uh, society. Um, I wanted to start with uh, the, uh, the book, Getting Real, um, mm-hmm. the 10 skills. Uh, what motivated you? Uh, to write this, and could you talk a little bit about the book? Okay. Well, I'm going to start with the fact that I had parents who were grown-ups, and I didn't see very many grown-ups in the world, and I had a jump start on life because of that. And I saw my friend's parents, and uh, oh, they were addicted, or they were self-centered, or they just you know, sometimes I thought, geez, they shouldn't have had kids. You know, this is where I was coming from as a child, watching <clears throat> the society and then looking at the society and the short-sighted decisions that leaders were making. And I um, got curious. It's <laughs> a curious little kid, smart little kid. And um, I said, why can't we see the handwriting on the wall, like what, we're, you know, even as a 13 year old, what we're doing to the environment, you know, how we're treating each other. <clears throat> why, 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 why can't we be more rational? Okay. And um, what came to me as I really got more into it, I, I developed more compassion for humanity after a short time. I, I, uh, I realized that our capacity to hold discomfort is sorely lacking that we take these quick fixes, you know, we're addicted to our comfort zone. Uh, I'm I'm not saying that I don't like a lot of physical comfort. I do, especially at my age. But um, the early part of my life, I um, made a, a point to always be stretching my comfort zone so I could enjoy life more and so I could make better decisions. And um, so, you know, I wasn't perfect. I got into a marriage that I later saw was a mistake and so forth. But I was always into, okay, um, let's not waste time pointing the finger, blaming, but let's look at what we can learn from this. And these ideas are not new to most of our listeners now, but this, this idea of having a life where you focus on learning rather than comfort, where you focus on stretching your comfort zone rather than always playing it safe and trying to control the outcome. That that just became my philosophy of life and something that I wanted to figure out how to teach. So that's when the 10 truth skills you need to live an authentic life, which is the subtitle of my book, Getting Real. That's when that was born. And that was born way before I ever wrote the book. I mean, I didn't write that book until um, about 25 years ago. 
Um, but I think it's still relevant, uh, don't you? Well, I think it's I think it's more relevant. I think it's a wake up call, and I'm just uh, you know a couple of things stood out was the fact um, you know there's I think growth is an uncertainty, um, and yet why why are we so um, you know as a society so addicted to certainty, even knowing that you know I know I've I feared every move that I've ever had, and. Mm-hmm. my thought after every move was probably should have done it three months before, you know, um, what is this deal with, with uncertainty and, or this addiction to certainty and how does, how is your work impacted? I mean, you have worked with several, uh, so many people over all these years. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, like it's that kind of paradox, like, you know, how do you, how, how to overcome that? Yeah, well, uncertainty is something that is uncomfortable, um, and and um, emotional pain is uncomfortable. But how do we move gent, you know, kind of move ourselves gently toward having a bigger capacity to hold that kind of discomfort? So, so first of all, let's look at the the causes, and I think we can then remedy some of the causes. Some of the causes were how in childhood we were all little and helpless in a world of big people and we were controlled a lot. And um, we really were the main, the main thing though, that I want to get across is um, we depended on these big people. And so we were watching for what was approved of and what was not approved of. And, as a very little person, most of us at times were upset or cried or you know, needed to be um, comforted. But if we were too um, much in pain, <clears throat> too much, too much um, inconsolable for the parents, the parents would get anxious. And so we got the uh, experience very early on, many of us, that if I'm in pain, kind of like nobody knows what to do with that. See, we're learning now about attachment parenting and how the best thing to do for your child when they're upset is to hold space for them, to hold them close, to help them regulate their nervous system. You know, if I have a calm nervous system and I can hold my crying infant, I can show this infant that it's not scary to be upset because there's relief. You can feel, you know, first you learn from a parent, you know, you can feel the warmth of another body calming you down. But through that, <clears throat> babies can learn that <clears throat> upsets don't last forever, that you can feel a scary emotion, but you can calm yourself. But what a lot of us experienced, because Parents are naive. They mean well. But, gee, you want your kid to be happy. So you get nervous if they can't be consoled. And so your anxiety kind of rubs off on the child's anxiety and the little little tiny child I'm talking about. And, you know, as an infant, I get the feeling that if I'm in pain, there's something bad or wrong about me. So I'm trying to, um, through the work that I'm offering people, little practices to step into the unknown, 
to stretch your comfort zone, like take an emotional risk and say, I'm attracted to you, even if I don't know whether you're attracted to me or not. You know, those are little things like that that I encourage people to do. Um, the, <clears throat> the fear of emotional pain is what's motivating most people. And uncertainty is just one version of emotional discomfort. Not being able to control whether that person says, yes, I want to date you or not. You know, that's a kind of uncertainty. Not be able to control the the next moment. But we're living in a society where, um, and in a world where information's coming at us so fast that we no longer can depend on the old, oh, if I do this, this is what the outcome's going to be. We were, things were always uncertain in the human world, but things are happening faster and faster now, really, really. And you cannot take the time sometimes to think through a decision with all the pros and cons the way maybe we did in the past, just because of the, the pace of exponential change. So we're we're always going to be on that edge of uncertainty, like a surfer surfs the ocean waves and they don't know what's coming next, but they know that the best way to be when you're surfing the ocean is to be fully present in this moment and have <clears throat> access to all your faculties. You know, you're aware of your body. You're able to see clearly. You're not caught up in your mind trips about, oh, my God, am I going to survive this one? So that, that's that's some of what I have to say about this fear of uncertainty. It's basically another version of fear of discomfort. Sure, sure. And you mentioned one practice, you know, kind of in the in the dating world. What are some of the other practices um, that have been common in your years of uh, prescribing, for lack of a better word? Sure, sure. Well, so many of us think things let's say we're in, we're in some kind of a relationship whether it's a friendship or a dating relationship or a marriage where we want something and can't speak it or somebody hurt our feelings but we don't want to let on you know these are normal human things i i'm not trying to be critical of humans so much as to have us be, I'm going to say, compassionately self-critical. So Mm. noticing, so the biggest practice is noticing when you have an impulse to speak and it feels risky and it feels scary, being able to stop and pause and be curious about that. Not necessarily, I'm not necessarily saying just blurt everything out and, and just say, you know, say whatever you feel. Start by being curious about your own resistance, your own fears, because let's say I am afraid. I am afraid of rejection when I want to ask for that date. If I get in touch with that fear of rejection before I ask for that date, what I what comes out of my mouth will be more whole. I'll be I'll, I'll just be more present to myself. I'll be maybe a little softer as I speak it, because I'm being kind of soft with myself. I know it's a risk. And I I remember when I 
was younger, I used to go to bars sometimes and the guys would try to pick me up and they'd just go, hey, baby, you know, how's it going? And and I would go, gee, I, I know there's a scared little boy in there somewhere. And I wish I would see a little more of that, you know, not necessarily, you know, coming only leading with the scared little boy, but that that bombastic you know, thing it just never felt real to me as a as a teenager you know so that's the kind of thing I'm 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 trying to get across to people is everything that's going on in you see if you can slow down enough when you've got a risk to take to be aware of like the different impulses I want to but I'm afraid and one of the true skills I teach in the book is, let's say you want to clear the air with somebody because they hurt your feelings and you're not sure how to do it. You might say, I have I have some feelings I'd like to clear with you and I'm feeling a little shaky because on the one hand, I want us to have an honest relationship, but I'm not sure if I'm going to do this right and you know might create distance between us. So that's the true skill called sharing mixed emotions. So in my mind, if you can kind of get out both sides as a preamble, kind of set the context. And I think if I get to, you know, part of it would be, and I think if I get to say this, I'll be able to let go of it and, you know, we'll feel closer again. So being able to let somebody know that you both want to clear the air, but you're also afraid that's what I mean by sharing mixed emotions. And that sometimes just kind of settles your system down so that you can actually have the courage to do it. What uh, what are some that's of one, the... Uh, that's one true skill. Yeah. And, another, and the other one, as I said, is pausing to notice and feel your fears before you finish what you're going to say. Like noticing the intent rather than almost acting robotic. Yeah, yeah. Noticing your intent, which is to connect, but also noticing any fears that go along with that, because most of us do, do carry hidden fears. And if they were more integrated into the rest of ourselves, you know, like wow. if my fear part was more uh, integrated with my courageous part, there would be a more a more whole response it's like i really i know i I really want to say something right now about what i what i thought about what you just said and at the same time i don't i don't know if that's something you want to hear you know do you want that feedback you want to hear the impact and 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 so somehow when you bring more of yourself without overdoing it um, you come across as more whole and you usually get better results. Um, you know, you, you alluded to fear of rejection. Um, mm-hmm. What are some of the other common fears that you've encountered uh, with your clients? Yeah. Maybe overcome. Yeah. So- um, well, one of the things I do in some, some of my big workshops or big lectures is I do this thing called the favorite fears contest. <laughs> and I have people raise your hand. How many people are pretty sure you're sometimes motivated by fear of abandonment. Okay. Fear of abandonment. Everybody raises their hand. Fear of rejection raises their hand. Fear of being controlled. That's a big one. A lot of people raise their hand. Not everybody raises their hand on that one. I personally don't, I'm not really 
suffering from fear of being controlled because of the kind of parents I had, I think. Um, fear yeah. of being used, fear of being overwhelmed, um, fear of not being enough. Oh, that's a huge one. I'm not enough. And so many of us suffer from that, that I just want to pause with that one for a minute, because in a way, I think our culture uh, and the rapid, uh, well, not so much rapid, but, but overwhelming amount of stuff we're supposed to do and be able to be good at in order to be a worthy person, sure. that sort of thing. I, I think it just feeds a fear of not being enough or not being good enough. Plus the fact that we were all little at one point and everybody else could do things better than us, that it, it's hard to overcome that one completely because that's sort of built into our early training or our early conditioning. So, so that's a big one. So if any of our um, listeners now can just tune in to that, fear of not being enough and imposter syndrome comes from that and trying to look good and appear like I've got it together. All that comes from that. And these are, these are like normal, these kind of fears. And so my work is about helping to accept that those fears are part of our motivational system. We're trying to protect ourselves from having some, pain happen that will overwhelm our nervous systems like that type of pain may have happened as a child like there may have been some type of abandonment maybe not your parents left you you know in a basket on the somebody's doorstep or that kind of thing but you know you you had some experience of where are they i'm all alone and many, many children ha had that. And, and parents might not even realize it. Maybe you just forgot that you told your child that you were going to do something with them. This this happens a lot. I get this in my uh, therapy practice, hearing how kids just remember those times when they were kind of like forgotten. And so that fear of being alone is somewhere way back in your conditioning. And then when you get into these adult relationships that have a have a dependency flavor to them, you know, you're kind of depending on this other person, you want them to like you. That simulates <clears throat> the parent-child relationship and all those same dependency needs. And this is these are very good kinds of relationships for getting those old fears triggered so that you can take better care of them and so that if you're in an intimate relationship, you can help each other, reparent each other and right. help each other heal. So I believe relationships are a healing uh, uh, context. Yeah, I, I've come to believe, and I don't think I always did, was that the only way to, quote unquote, get better at, at, in relationships is to be in relationships, whether that's in work or, you know, and kind of... Um, <laughs> Like that's where the growth can be, you know. It's yes. it's easily it's easy to deal with other people if you if you're isolated. But there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things um, about that. What are some of the common phrases that you know would connote authentic relating? And what are some of the common phrases to avoid that you know yeah. is you know encoded? Uh, you know what what are the uh, swear words? I guess in this. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, first of all, first I'll say some some of the helpful phrases. Because yeah. I have a book out that has seven phrases that help you bring your conversation right into the present moment right. where there's some aliveness. So one of the phrases is hearing you say that I feel. So even if you don't speak that out loud, somebody somebody says that's brilliant. You can you know you come a, a few minutes late for lunch with somebody and they say you're late. And so my automatic reaction is defend myself, you know, or to give an excuse, you know, that's just the, the, the robot me. But if I pause long enough, at least in my own mind to say, hearing you say that, I feel, ooh, hearing you say that, I feel kind of afraid that I, I just did something careless that maybe affected our relationship. You know how 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 bad does that affect our relationship? You know, I mean, I I get present to what feels like the actual issue here. Like, how bad was that when they said you're late? Uh, another phrase is "I want." I was alluding earlier to <clears throat> a lot of people withhold just speaking what they want because, well, the obvious reason we withhold that is the answer might be no. And then that might trigger that old pain around being rejected. So the phrase I want, again, not always spoken out loud. Sometimes it is good to, of course, speak, you know, I want you to look into my eyes as we're speaking. I want to take a break now so I can just digest what we're, what we've been saying before we just keep talking different, you know, just whatever want you have. If you, if you have in your mind, the phrase I want as a good one, then maybe you'll be more likely to actually speak it. Um, another important phrase is I'm starting to get triggered. Mm. So many of us nowadays, the closer we get in relationship, the more our old childhood fears get activated. And I'm talking about fears of rejection, abandonment, being controlled, not being good enough. Um, It's good to have that language. Like my old fear of not being enough, I think is getting triggered. Let me pause here. So another good phrase is, I need a moment. I need to pause. I need to collect myself before I just start going on automatic, defending myself or arguing with you, that type of thing. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so those are a few good ones. I, I you know, There's a whole list of them in the book, uh, Saying What's Real. And you want to hear the tab, some of the taboo things? Absolutely. I'll just give you a couple, because you asked. Uh, nobody's ever asked me that question before. That's a, a good question, Kowan. Um One is, um, you made me feel. and we do that and it's not bad because the intent really is isn't to necessarily blame the other person but it if i say oh boy you know you make me so angry that Mm. type of thing it's not exactly the it's not the best way to to work with your feelings if I, because I might then start to believe you made me angry. So I have to focus on you and changing you. But what if I said, 
when I heard that, I noticed anger coming up in me or I felt anger. See, I, I believe that all, all of this communication stuff is going to be deeply healing when you have the noticer activated. So, you know, I notice anger coming up in me is more real time. It's like right in this moment, I can feel it. I can feel the heat rising in my face. I'm more in my body. I'm, I'm more there. I'm more all there if I have a noticer activated or a witness. But you don't always need to say, I notice. You can just say, I feel anger. And the the value of using responsibility language, like, okay, that happened over there, and this is my response, is it puts your attention on you, and you're the it's it's my anger that needs a little tender loving care right now. It's my it's it's I need some attention of my own. If I'm just gonna try to change the environment, like you made me this, so I'm gonna focus on changing you. Um, it, it's going to be a losing battle because you're not going to get the whole world to conform to your comfort zone. It's it's much it's a much better policy to say, okay, what do I need to learn? What do I need to feel in order to process this anger and and realize there's some maybe tenderness underneath that or some hurt and bring compassion to that. If I, if I use the right language, it helps me focus my attention where it needs to go. Um, you mentioned the uh, I'm feeling triggered. Uh, there's a lot of gems uh, in your books. Uh, one of them I wanted to ask you was, uh, you know, trigger implies some sort of button. And you said a yeah. button is a belief gone mad. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's that's one of the little um, quotes from the book Getting Real and then I've written two more whole books about getting triggered since I wrote Getting Real, because it's such a deep and important topic. A belief gone mad, what I meant by that is our belief that I'm not good enough, mm. a belief that I'm all alone. That would be that fear of abandonment. Those those early the fear stories is one term for them. Or a belief gone mad is just just my little quick phrase to get people's attention that these are only beliefs or they're only fear stories that were installed in you when you were little because you didn't know how else to interpret the fact mm -hmm. that you were hurting. And it seemed to be you were hurting at the hand of somebody who was supposed to love you and care for you. So we make up beliefs like you can't trust anybody or don't get too close to anybody or or don't let don't show your weaknesses to anybody because uh, they'll use it against you. Those are the kind of beliefs that actually do get installed in little people. And then we carry those into our relationships. And when the person I'm married to, let's say, criticizes me, I take it as the same thing when I was little and I went into, oh, I'm bad or wrong. My dad always tells me that I'm talking too much. I must be bad or wrong when I talk. And now I'm getting that same kind of message from my husband. And so I get triggered. 
And I either put up a big defense or I go on offense or I shut down and freeze and fight, flight and freeze are the main reactions to getting triggered. And so those are things, those are things to, to, to learn to pay attention to. So not only do you learn to notice and go, oh, I'm getting triggered. Oh, am I going into kind of withdrawal or going blank and shutting down? Or am I getting aggressive? Because any of those three types of responses are early warning signs to help me know that I'm triggered and that that I ought to maybe pause and check in and go, okay, what's the fear here? What's the fear that needs to be attended to and met with compassion? So um, fears are not meant to be judged, but to be meant to be curious about if if I'm understanding that right. Cause I, I feel like I can be, uh, I can be familiar with some of my fears, you know, just reading your, your uh, books, but then I will judge them like, as in like, how really man, like you still yeah. have this fear. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Um, I wanted to read a quote uh, of yours um, that I found really powerful and get your thoughts. Um the more you try to get reality to fit within your comfort zone, the more unprepared you are to deal with a world full of surprise, mm. complexity, and change. Likewise, if we persist in trying to get our relationships to conform to our expectations instead of letting them be how they actually are, we may miss important opportunities to know ourselves and others more deeply. Yeah, yeah. So you can... You can champion your own growth or you can make decisions that stunt your growth. And because I'm going to say hardly anybody likes emotional pain, I'm not saying you're supposed to like it, but we can't avoid it. And so we, and when I say emotional pain, I mean, somebody disagreeing with you when you wish you would, they would agree or, Somebody saying no when you wish they would have said yes. In other words, people not doing it the way you would prefer they would do it. That's that's what we're talking about. And so many of us put so much energy into strategizing and making ourselves acceptable, you know, kind of bending ourselves into little pretzels to be approved of or to be liked. And that's that's what I'm talking about in that quote. If you're trying to make the world or yourself, you know, make yourself conform to other people's comfort zone or get them to behave in a certain way by, because when you're actually you know, like say being nice and kind of being complimentary when that's not what you really feel, you're just doing that to manipulate the person so that they'll maybe like you. And in that dating relationship that we're talking about, that is very common. I don't even worry about whether I like this person. I don't ask the right questions. You know, I I don't do my due diligence and vet the person that I'm dating. All I'm doing is trying to get them to like me. You know, if the shoe fits, I mean, those of you who are single, think about that. Like, don't do that. (laughs) If you're trying to get them to conform to your comfort zone or get them to always like you. First of all, it's not sustainable, but um, also you may realize that you haven't actually gotten the kind of information 
to have a partner that's compatible with you. So you get the idea, but the but the bigger the bigger message in that quote is the world is not going to conform to your comfort zone anyway. People are going to do what they're going to do and you can spend your time like making yourself wrong for that or making them wrong for that. Or you can go, oh, this wave has a certain characteristic. You know, I'm a surfer. This wave has a certain characteristic and I I better go left instead of right here if, if I don't want to wipe out. You know, you're just in the moment making decisions based on the feedback that you're getting from the other person. What what did you want to be when you were 18? When I was 18, I think I wanted to be like a guidance counselor because I was the kind of kid that everybody came to with their problems. <clears throat> and I had a reputation for being able to hold confidences and not, you know, not gossip um, because, because I have empathy for people. You know, I just, my parents had, again, it really, I have to give my parents a lot of credit here. Oh, they had empathy for me. We we had that kind of a family where, where we just, you know, a lot of it has to do with emotional safety. So I grew up in a home where we all felt emotionally safe to tell the truth and we felt loved. And so, you know, I'm a teenager and I kind of know what it feels like to be other people. You know, I don't have to work at that. Um, so I naturally kind of feel safe in the world. So people talk to me and I figure I'm going to, I'm going to grow up and be a guidance counselor. I never thought that I'd kind of get a PhD and teach college and write all these books. I, I, I never had big ambitions, but I, I just, I just wanted to sit with people and listen to their problems. <laughs> That's what I thought would be a good life. <laughs> sure. You sure helped a lot of people. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, your books, um, you know, what, what are the best places to, to find your work? Well, I've got like 11 books and you can find them on Amazon or you can get them. You can see them all at susancampbell.com. I do sell all my books on my website, but I just assume you go somewhere else uh, to get them. That's fine with me. Whatever's easiest. Sometimes they're cheaper on Amazon, uh, to be honest. Um, so go to susancampbell.com though, so you can subscribe to my monthly newsletter where I announce a free group coaching call that I do every single month. I spend an hour with whoever wants to show up on, uh, on a zoom call. And then that those are archived, uh, on YouTube. And no, so I, I want people, even if you're not paying to be in one of my workshops, I do give workshops and so forth. And those are announced in the newsletter. And I do have a private practice. But even if you don't pay to, to see me, you can read my books and you can come to my free webinar there on uh, the first Tuesday of every month. Well, I mean, I've so enjoyed this con uh, conversation. I didn't even get to uh, uh, <clears throat> from trigger to tranquil. Uh, but I really uh, appreciate your time and uh, uh, just appreciate the nature of your work. It's uh, it's challenging to read and also game changing uh, if implemented, uh, since these things seem to be under the surface of like symptoms that exist. So thank you so much for your time. Great talking with you today. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Campbell. A huge thank you. Her iBooks are riveting. 
and eye-opening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or any of the platforms that you listen to this podcast on. It will help grow the show. Until next time, this is Kawan Saluja. Talk to you soon.